Thank you, Jeff, Lori, band, and choir, and orchestra. Sounded, sounded fantastic. Um, a couple things I want to share with you. I know that um, on your hearts, on my hearts, on the heart of the world today, and we want to pray for this. Uh, a couple things. Uh, one is uh, personal. It has to do with us, our church. Uh, and the other one is very, very global in nature. Let me, let me begin by saying welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here today, both online. Uh, many of you, hundreds of you are worshiping the Lord with us as if you were here. We're glad to have you online. Even better, we'd love to have you in person. That would be awesome one day to have you come. Also, those of you that are in the house, in the worship center, God bless you. We're, we're spread out all over, but we're here, and we're glad that you are here. Very, very glad that you're here today. And my name is Danny, Danny Forshee, and I know we have new guests every single week, and so I need to do that. I need to introduce myself. I know that's old hat for us that have been here for many years, but somebody coming in for the very first time, and we have this every single Sunday, and uh, we have people come in as Trey welcomed you a moment ago, and we're glad that you're here. We're honored that you're here. We want you to join in with us as we worship the Lord uh, today. Uh, we are praying for the Ukrainian people. We have many strong believers and churches in the, in the country, and so we're praying for them today for strength. Our hearts are broken. Um, my heart just goes out to those dear people, uh, grandmothers being equipped with firearms and Molotov cocktails. It's just... It's just beyond our wildest uh, imaginations. Pray also for the Russian people. I know many of those uh, dear people are believers, and they're not in, a, in agreement or approving what their government is doing. We have believers there. We have people we support there in Russia, and we have heard from them. And just like we've heard from people from Ukraine, and they both are saying the same thing, we need Jesus. Our, our nations need Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that, that we need. The other thing I want to mention to you, just, just briefly, we had a saint of God pass away yesterday, Wynn Pinkston. Many of you know Wynn, uh, or knew of Wynn, uh, W-I-N-N, and that was an appropriate name for this guy. With a smile on his face, a love for Christ, a love for our church, he passed away yesterday. Wynn was of the greatest generation. Um, he fought in World War II. He was a pilot. But he didn't travel uh, to the European theater uh, or to the Pacific. He stayed in America, and he trained our pilots to go and fight the war overseas. Wynn Pinkston was a hero, y'all. He was a man of God, and we will miss him, Ross, won't we? We'll miss him. We'll miss him dearly. And so just I think it's interesting that Wynn passes away on a day when the world is just globally focused on this war uh, in, uh, in Ukraine and those surrounding nations. Many people are fleeing. They're fleeing from the Ukraine to Romania, to Poland, and, and even probably Belarus, which I've been to Belarus a couple of times. I know of ministries that are there on, uh, I've been researching Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham. Uh, just right now, I'm, I'm not prepared to say a whole lot. I know this war just really began in earnest a few days ago, but Samaritan's Purse is always a good place. If you want to donate money, if you want to... Um, if you want a place that you can trust, I know Ashley and I will be donating, we'll be supporting the ministry there. Franklin Graham said on TV today, they're setting up their hospital as people pour in across the border. Uh, I think they're setting up, I can't remember which country it is, but anyhow, uh, that's a great, great ministry. I know it's heavy, I know it's on your heart, it's on my heart, uh, but I tell you guys, we, we have a responsibility in America, and that is to be the people uh, that God's called us to be. We're the greatest nation, the most powerful military on the, in the, on the planet, and I think what makes us great is because we 
uh, our nation was founded upon Judeo-Christian biblical principles. And I think the greatest part of our nation is right here in this church. We are a praying people. We're a God-fearing, God-loving people. And I don't know about you, but I am not taking my freedoms for granted. I am so grateful to God for the military, for the police who protect us. Grateful to God to live in this country. Man. So I am woke, I'm woke to Jesus, I love Jesus, and uh, I'm just woke up with him and love him, I'm gonna serve him, and the greatest thing I can do today is to have you open your Bibles and teach you the Word of God. Are y'all up for that? You good for that? All right, let's do it. Let's go to the book of Acts. Have you ever been there, the book of Acts? You ever heard this? this? <laughs> yeah, four years, preacher, we're in uh, the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 23. The title of our message is simply investing in others, investing in others, uh, planting churches, building up the body of Christ, pouring into one another, pouring into uh, each other so that we could go and do the work of the gospel. This is my heartbeat. This is my passion. Uh, I get fired up, very fired up when I come to passages of scripture like this because number one, I get to preach about the hero, one of my heroes of the faith, the apostle Paul. And then we get to explore his methodology, what he believed to be the key to the expansion of the gospel, and that was to plant churches, vibrant churches with a hot heart for the gospel that clearly pre uh, preached Christ crucified, buried, resurrected. And I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul, he just would not let any dust settle under his feet. No grass grew under his feet. He was a man on mission. And so he was 18 months in Corinth, while he was in Corinth, uh, remember that promise Jesus said, look, don't be afraid, Paul. Nobody's going to hurt you here. I have many people in this city. And sure enough, when he leaves Corinth, nobody had inflicted any bodily harm upon him. But he's like, after writing the books first and second Thessalonians, he wrote those books while he was in Corinth. He looked around and he says, well, guys, I gotta go. It's time for me to go. Aquila and Priscilla, y'all come on, let's go. He's pouring into them. He's discipling them. And he says, God has called me to Ephesus. And so we're gonna pick up his journey, his second missionary journey. He's closing it out. He goes to Ephesus and uh, God uses him powerfully there, but he's a man on a mission. He's gotta go back to Jerusalem, eventually to Antioch, where, check this out, he's gonna do it all over again. I mean, he is a missionary. He is a man on a mission. But I want you to notice, the reason God has so meticulously preserved the life of Paul, the mission of Paul, the methodology of Paul is this, is because it works. And we today, as a church, especially in America, and I would say right here in Austin, Texas, I think we are at our best when we are making disciples, when we're pouring into other people, and when we are going out and planting other churches and helping them grow and, and, and to be effective in their community. More about that in a few moments. All right, here we go. So Paul, he still remained a good while. You can write in the margin of your Bible, that would be about 18 months, a year and a half is a good while. He stayed there in Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren. He left the church. There's a church that has been firmly established. Remember the book 1 Corinthians, the book 2 Corinthians? Those epistles were written to these brethren, okay, that we're talking about. He left them and he sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Now remember who they were. They were his 
missionary partners. They were tent makers. They were converted Jews who loved Jesus just like Paul. Paul has discipled them. He's poured his life into them. And then notice in verse 18, Paul had his hair cut off at Sincrea for he had taken a vow. You may ask, what in the world does that mean? And we're going to talk about that in a moment because it, it illustrates the discipline and the determination of the Apostle Paul. We'll talk about it in a moment. So he came to Ephesus. That's a big statement because he had to sail the Aegean Sea. He had to get out of the port of Sincrea and he had to sail over. I'm, I've done this route. I've sailed it for three days. Now, I was on a cruise. Paul was not on a cruise. But anyhow, it, it took us three days, and we stopped in places like Patmos and Mykonos and Rhodes, and we retraced Paul's missionary journey in 2004. Hope to do it again, Lord willing, one day. Anyhow, he made it. He made it to Ephesus. A church is planted in Ephesus by Paul. Timothy will serve as the first pastor of the church at Ephesus. The apostle John will end up serving a lengthy pastorate at Ephesus before he's taken to Patmos. So Ephesus is a big deal. Have you ever heard of a book in the Bible called, amen, thank you, Ephesians, right? It's one of the seven churches on the postal route of Revelation 2 and 3. So here he comes, Paul's coming to Ephesus, and he left them there. So what in the world is going on? Paul leaves Aquila and Priscilla there. He's discipled them. He's like, you guys are ready. Y'all help this church get going. Lord willing, I'll come back and see you. But he himself entered the synagogue and he dialogomied them. He said, what in the world does that mean? Well, spell it out, dialogue. Paul reasoned, he dialogued with the Jews in the synagogue. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he said no. The Apostle Paul said, I love you, but I can't stay with you. I've got to go. I'm on a mission. So he took leave of them saying, I must. Now that word in Greek, D-E-I, it is the word of, of utter constraint of obligation. It's the same word that Jesus used to tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is a word of, I, I, I mean, it's a word of intensity. It's a word where you make a commitment and you stay with it. You with me? So I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you. Y'all see that? God willing, or if the Lord wills. And so he took off for Ephesus. All right, and when he landed at Caesarea. Now Caesarea is on the coast, right? Caesarea named after Caesar, a beautiful seaport city. Uh, I hope you'll get to visit it one day. It is a gorgeous city built right there on uh, the Mediterranean coast. So he comes to Caesarea and, he, and he, he went up and greeted the church. I think this is so cool. When the Bible talks about going to Jerusalem, it always talks about going up. Even though you may be in the north and you go south to Jerusalem, the Bible says it doesn't matter, you're going up. Why is that? Why does the Bible say whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're going up? Two reasons. Number one, above sea level. It's up on a mountain, all right? Number two, it's the city of God. It's Mount Zion. It's the Lord's city. And so when you speak of it, not only you speak of it uh, geographically and topographically, you speak of it spiritually that he's gone up and he greeted the church. And mm -mm, listen, not just any church, the mama church, the, the church of Jerusalem. Y'all are looking at me like, dude, I didn't know you get so excited about geography and, you know, and, and Paul's journeys. Y'all, I get excited about the Bible. 
I love the word of God. I think the greatest thing we can do is preach the Bible, love the Bible, learn from the word of God. You say, but that's not as entertaining as, I would, I would do a song, do a dance, do, do something entertaining. Okay. Okay, you good? Let's get back to the Bible. Amen. He went down to Antioch. You say, but wait a minute. He can't go down to Antioch. He's got to go 300 miles due north to reach Antioch. Doesn't matter. You got to go down whenever you you leave Jerusalem. And after he spent some time there at that church in Antioch. Ah, what a church. It's this mama church. That's the church that sent him and his missionary colleagues twice. He departed. Now we're going to begin his third missionary journey. And he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, here it comes, strengthening, building up, making disciples, strengthening all those who were disciples. Father, we thank you for your word. It is our gift, your gift to us. We treasure it. We love it. Uh, We want to be good stewards of it, study it, preach it. We know, Lord, that there's a lot going on in this world. And there's a lot of hostility, a lot of spiritual darkness. Uh, Darkness over there, darkness here. And Lord, we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So Lord, we're praying for protection over us as we pray. And thank you for angels posted around the perimeter. Thank you, Lord, for good men in this very room who are toting and ready to defend. I appreciate that especially. And so I just pray, Lord, it wouldn't come to that. That you just protect us from any evil from any harm, because I know the devil is really, really gonna hate what's about to happen here. The word of God will be proclaimed. The scriptures will be championed. People's lives are going to be radically changed by the power of the word of God. So Lord, do what you do, and I thank you that you cannot be stopped. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we're on this journey, uh, the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is I really want to go with you on his missionary journey and just watch his, his methodology. Watch the way the Apostle Paul lived his life to the full for the glory of God. And I really believe that the scriptures have been preserved for us, not for our mere uh, enlightenment and our theological acumen and, and intelligence. No, I think that's all good. And I love doctrine and I love history and I love Greek and I love all those things. But the most important thing is, what are you gonna do about it? What am I gonna do about the knowledge and the understanding that we will glean from the word of God? Here's, here's the end game. The end game is the Holy Spirit has preserved this. He wants you to read this so that you will will be strong. Your faith would be deepened, and then you will go help somebody else grow and mature in their faith. I'm really talking to believers today who get it. Uh, Many of you do, many of you do not. Many of you are still in the very infant childhood stage of Christianity. And I'm glad you're here, but I want to move you. I want to move you out of the infant stage, the childhood, adolescent stage. I'd love to see you, to use Putman's wheel, to move you on into into adulthood. And then glory to God, praise God, move you on up to the part where you're actually a parent. That you are birthing spiritual children and you're helping them grow in their relationship with the Lord. So that's that's my end game. First thing I want you to notice with me is Paul's discipline. He is one disciplined individual. 
Number one, he stays there for 18 months. And while he's in Corinth, he's preaching daily. He's protected by God. And he is planting church, at least one church. And he also makes a vow. He says, I'm taking this vow to be a, a Nazarite. And so let's look at this for just a minute. He is, uh, uh, Paul dips back into the Old Testament. Some people criticize Paul at this point saying, why is he doing this? Why is he taking such an Old Testament vow? But really it doesn't compromise the gospel at all. It just shows his commitment um, to be a disciplined soldier uh, for the Lord. And so the Nazarite vow would go something like this. If men and women would take it and they would not cut their hair they would drink no wine, no alcoholic beverages, if you will, for a month. They would restrict their diets. And basically, it was, it was a way of just showing utmost dedication to God, where they deny their physical bodies, not even cutting their hair. Again, restricting their diet, restricting what they put into their body. They would do it for a month unless your name was Samson. <laughs> who did not what? He did not cut his hair. He never drank alcohol or wine. He never, uh, he always watched his diet. Or if your name was, you ever heard this name? Samuel, the prophet. Let me give you one in the New Testament who took the vow of the Nazarene, the Nazarite, and his name would be John the Baptist. Now, Paul's not doing that, but he is at least taking a month. And by the way, I recommend this. If God puts something on your heart that is so prodigious, that is so big, and you need to spend some time prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord, that's what I've been doing for many months now. At least one day, one day a week, I'm just dedicating myself. I don't cut my, I don't have a whole lot of hair. You know, I don't cut my hair a whole lot, but I, there's certain things I just won't do, I won't eat, and just dedication to the Lord and to what I believe God wants to do at Great Hills Baptist Church. You say, will you do that, all that for us just because you love us and you love our church and you love what? Yep, yep, yep. I do, man. I'm excited of what God has done, what God is doing, and what I believe in my heart God will do with Great Hills Baptist Church to plant churches all over Austin and all over the world. Thank you, brother. Amen, brother. Preach it. That's a good word. Thank you for giving me that amen. Look, guys, that's, that's my heart. That's my passion. Well, what does that mean for us as a church? That means we got to get busy. We planted one four years ago. It's doing okay. At three o'clock this afternoon, I don't know what you're going to be doing, but I'm going to be helping load equipment. I said, what in a brother, get a life. What are you loading equipment for? We're planting another church. We're helping get the sound equipment. We got only got two months left, and then I'll be preaching here at 11 o'clock and be preaching there at 5 o'clock. I've been doing that since August. You say, well, brother, you're getting old. You need to take it easy. You need to take a nap and watch some basketball. I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about that. I've, I only got a little time left when it comes to eternity. God, use me for your glory. God, use me up. And when I die, I go to heaven, I'm going to be tired. How about you? I'm going to be tired. And use me, oh God, use this church. I mean, this church, oh goodness, I'm way ahead of myself. Let me, let me go back. I always do good if I go to my notes, all right? Let me go back to my notes. Here's the vow of the Nazarite. Some of y'all are just dying for me to read this to you, so let me read it to you. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall take the hair from his consecrated head 
and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So here's Paul, very disciplined. He's planting churches, he's writing the Bible, pretty heady stuff, and he's letting his hair grow. Because when he gets to Jerusalem, he says, I gotta get to Jerusalem, this is a big deal. I'm, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna cut my hair and I'm gonna present it as an offering. And he does that at the temple, okay? So you see his, uh, you see his discipline. I, I love his discipline. I love his exercising himself toward godliness. And I love 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. We have it prepared for you. Let me read it for you. But reject profane and old wives' fables. In other words, quit gossiping, using your time, Christian, to complain and worry and, and gossip. Quit doing that. But be disciplined. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Now, bodily exercise profits a little. I like that verse. I really do. I like to exercise. I'm going to run a marathon again uh, Saturday. Anybody want to join me? You want to join me? I know two of you. These, these two people up here are going to join me, and we're going to have a horrible time. It's just a horrible. If you've never run a marathon, it's the most painful thing in this life. You say, why do you hurt yourself and do stuff like that? I don't know. But anyhow, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, right? Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come, the Apostle Paul is disciplined. Robert Coleman, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, calls it consecration. Jim Putnam, in his wonderful book, calls it real life discipleship. At Great Hills Baptist Church, we call it D-Path. We call it being disciplined, and investing ourselves in other people to help them grow. Now watch Paul, guys. Watch him. Watch him closely. He's writing the Bible. He's taking the vow of the Nazarite. He's planting churches. But watch what he does next. Is he delegates to those he's training. This is brilliant. A brilliant move by Paul. And you see it in verse 19. In verse 19 it says, And he came to Ephesus. So that means he's left Corinth. And he leaves them there. When I first read that, I'm like, what? Paul? Why are you leaving Aquila and Priscilla? He's got a reason for leaving them there. Watch this. Next week, we'll study it. But Aquila and Priscilla are going to disciple a young man named Apollos. Apollos is a mighty, powerful, awesome preacher. Uh, and so he needs help. And so Paul is discipling Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla are going to disciple Apollos. Apollos is going to preach the word. Tons of people are going to be saved. What a beautiful chain. What a beautiful series of events. And you say, well, where did Paul learn that? Where did, learn Paul, where did he learn this wonderful principle of delegation where you take some people around you, you pour your life into them so that they can go do it for others? That would be Jesus, right? We all love Jesus, or we should. We all should love Jesus, what Jesus did. Jesus poured his life into other men. And those men would go and change the world. And so that's what we see Paul doing with these uh, Aquila and Priscilla people. He leaves Ephesus, but he leaves them there like he's already left Silas and Timothy at Corinth. But he can do that. He can delegate to them because he trusts them. Um, but Paul's the consummate leader. Look, when you leave this planet, Who's going to carry on what you started? Who's going to continue your business that you've worked so hard for? You say, well, I don't want to think about that because I'm just going to live forever. 
you crazy? You're not going to live forever. What about your kids? Are you discipling your kids so that when they grow up and become teenagers, you don't kill them? You stay with them, you love them, you help them, and then they leave you and they go to the university and they go to college? I mean, look, you've only got a few short years with them. Love them, discipline them, disciple them. Don't let social media disciple them. Don't let other people disciple them. You disciple them. What about your sports team? If you're a leader on your team and, and, and you're going to graduate and move on to other things, you, wanna, you always want to leave the entity. When you leave it, you want to leave it better than you found it. Now, right one, leader of men, fighting man right here in Afghanistan. And you want to train those soldiers. You want to you, you, you want to do it the way Paul did it. You, you, you want to pour your life into others in such a way that when you leave, they don't skip a beat. When I leave Great Hills Baptist Church, I want that church, this church, to do far greater things than she ever did when I was the pastor. I, th I think the greatest, the greatest criticism of any pastor is this. When you leave, oh, the church just fell apart. Well, the church was built on the wrong thing. When the church is built on Jesus Christ and he's the grand personality and on the word of God, then man, that church is gonna be triumphant. Well, you got any ideas of leaving soon? No, I don't. I mean, I, I am in for the duration. Ashley and I are absolutely committed and we're believing God for great things. We're believing God's going to bless this church and many, many churches are gonna be birthed out of this church, all right? Discipline, delegation, number three is determination. Look at verses 20 and 21. Man, I love Paul. He's so determined. Verse 20, he has this effective ministry in Ephesus. And the people actually ask him, would you stay a little longer? Don't you stay just a little bit? He's, no, I'm not gonna stay longer. I've got to go because God is leading me to go to Jerusalem. I got to go to the feast. That's probably the feast of Passover, which is a big deal. It's one of the major feasts of the Jews. He's going to the feast of Passover. He's going to, I think he's going to present his hair there at the temple. And he's like, no, I, I've got to go. In verse 20, verse 21, he leaves. Uh, he lands, let me look at it with you, verse 21. He took leave of them and he said, I must by all means keep this coming feast. I think that's the Passover feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you again, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Well, check this out. When Paul's on his third missionary journey, God wills it. He stayed three years in Ephesus. That's the longest Paul had ever stayed anywhere. I mean, he had this Pauline missionary uh, church planting, theologian, gift from God. Now, John, Timothy, man, they'd go plant their lives. But Paul, he would just go from place to place to place. He's gonna end up eventually in Rome and die a martyr's death, but he will stay. He'll come back to Ephesus uh, for three years. He's so determined. And, um, and I love this part that it says, and he took off. He sailed for, uh, for, from Ephesus. I just love people like this. They, they inspire me. They motivate me. Uh, they have this principle of delayed gratification. Now, it, it would be a lot easier if I could just stay with you guys, Paul might say. 
man, God is blessing Ephesus. This is a cool town right here on the coast. But you know what? I made a promise. I made a promise to God that I'd be there at that feast and I'm gonna complete my vow. I think the, the victory uh, really goes to those who don't quit. Uh, it doesn't go always to the smartest, to the most handsome or the most beautiful or even the brightest or the super intelligent. The spoils from the war go to those who don't quit, who just don't give up. I'm thinking about a pastor, and y'all probably heard of him. His name's Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, it's a, he's a Presbyterian pastor in uh, Manhattan. In, in the 1980s, him and his wife, Kathy, they had three boys, three young sons, and they said, we're gonna go to Manhattan, and we're gonna plant a church. And his friend said, you are crazy. You can't go to Manhattan and plant no church. He said that Manhattan is not a place uh, for church planting. And so they, they gave him the reasons why uh, he shouldn't go. He said, that they said these, these kind of things. It's a fool's errand. Church means conservative. New York City is liberal. Church means families. Manhattan it ain't about families in Manhattan. It's about partying. It's about singles. It's about non-traditional families. Church meant belief. Manhattan was the epitome of doubt, skepticism, and cynicism. And people laugh at the idea of church in Manhattan. He said, very few congregations are making it. And those that are making it, here's how they make it. They compromise. They compromise traditional biblical values. I think it was a pastor in New York City. When, when Justin Bieber got saved, he took him to a bar and they did whiskey shots together. I'm like, a pastor taking Justin Bieber who just got saved to the bar to do whiskey shots. Is I, I don't, I just, some, some ain't right about that. If that bothers you, then be bothered. I mean, that, 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 that should bother you. And so they're like, look, you, you can't come in here with these conservative Christian values and family and discipleship. It's not gonna work. Well, he went anyhow. Praise God, he went anyhow. He said, not only am I going, but we're gonna focus on the infallibility of the Bible, and they laughed, the deity of Christ, that's ridiculous, and the necessity of the new birth, that all you Manhattanites need to be born again by the Spirit of God, and they said, you're gonna die. You're not gonna make it. Well, you fast forward to today, they only run 6,000 in the church. They've planted multiple churches, not only throughout Manhattan, but throughout the world. Tim Keller, 68 years old now. And unless God supernaturally touches him and heals him, this pancreatic cancer will take him. But I still read him. I still read his tweets and his quotes. And he is on fire for the Lord. And church, get this. When he left Redeemer Presbyterian Church, when he left the church, that was a smooth transition. The succession was not, oh, pastor, he's angry and he's leaving mad and nobody can do it like he did it. And the young pastor's coming in like, oh, man, you old idiot. We're going to change everything you ever did. They didn't have any of that. What they had was this smooth transition, humility on both parts. They didn't miss a beat. The church is thriving, and Tim Keller goes off and does something else. It can be done. It, it, this is the way Paul did it. This is the way, Lord willing, we're, we're going to do it. Verse 21, Paul says, thanks, but no thanks, guys. I'm gone. I got to go to 
Ephesus, and he goes. The next point I wanna share with you today is dependence. Uh, number four is the principle of dependence. You say, well, all these D's, alliteration, you've lost me. Where, where am I? What's, what's happening? Well, number one, Paul is disciplined. Number two, he delegates. Number three, he, he's dedicated. He's extremely dedicated to the gospel. He, he's more interested in, in preaching Christ and making disciples and building God's kingdom and not his own, okay? And then the fourth thing is he's dependent. This may be my favorite point. Look at verse 22. And now when he had landed at Ces, ooh, 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 where is it? Here is it. Ah, here it is. This is not a pistol. This is not a weapon. This is Brother Danny's pointer, all right? Woo-hoo, here we go. Here we go. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Aren't y'all excited? No, I'm not kidding. My last church, somebody wrote me up in the paper criticizing me for using maps in my sermon. No, I'm serious. God, protect me from your people. You ever heard that prayer before? I mean, where's Terry hurt? Terry was written up in the paper too. A bunch of heathens leading the church and they're teaching and they're using maps and Greek and all this theology. And they love me. Amen. And they love me. Just like some of you love me. I know you feel, I feel the love. All right, here we go. Y'all see this right here, Macedonia? We're planting a church right here. We gave them $27,000, and I can't wait to get over there and preach in this church. Jeff, you with me? You and Lori ought to go with me. How are we gonna do that? I don't know, but let's, let's go to Macedonia. So he's preached here in Athens, and now he's in Corinth. Remember, he went to Sincrea, and here's the little seaport in the eastern part of Corinth, I mean, eastern part of Macedonia, Greece. He's gonna sail. If you're with me, say, he's sailing. All right, he gets to Ephesus. How long does he stay there? Not very long. Now, on the third missionary journey, he's gonna come back and stay three years. But now he leaves. He's on his way out. He's gonna go from, from Acts 18.22 to Acts 19.1, Paul's gonna go 1,500 miles. No trains, planes, or automobiles, but boats and mules and donkeys and feet, all right? But man, I love this guy. What a guy. He's gonna go to Caesarea and then he's gonna go up. Y'all with me? Isn't that funny? He's not going up, he's going down. But you talk about Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. And in verse 22, he greets the brethren. How would y'all like to have been in that meeting? How would you like to have been there? You imagine Paul gave him a missionary report of where he had been, what he had seen, what he had done. Don't you think it motivated them greatly? And then he says, okay, guys, see ya. I'm gonna go 300 miles north to this place right here, to Antioch, all right? This is a special place. Antioch is the church where Paul was a pastor, and they sent him out on his first, second, now he's about to start his third missionary journey. The reason in my sermon I'm calling this dependence, here's why. Paul is not a lone ranger Christian. Paul is a churchman. He is accountable to the church at Antioch. That's his, that's his sending church. So he comes back and gives a report to them, submits himself to them. He stays with them a little bit, right? Just like he did here in Jerusalem. But he is a man on a mission and he's like, I, I've got to go again. And he will. He'll go back through this 
this part of the world, Galatia, Pisidia. Uh, he'll do this. But before he does, he, he touches base with them. And I just call this principle dependence. Uh, he, uh, he is a churchman. Uh, he is accountable. And that's, that's the way it should be. There should be no renegade, larger than life, pastor, preacher types who do whatever they want to do. They are accountable. Accountable to God, accountable to the church. And that's the way I think it, I think it's the way it should be. I read an interesting article this week, and I'm going to share a little bit of it with you because it has to do with this whole churchianity thing that I'm talking about today. Um, Y'all, I just, I just so believe in the church. I, I believe, um, I don't know, Fred, upright, I think you said one time, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. And a church that is on fire for Christ with a pastor who preaches the word of God and, and challenges the people of God and, and staff that does the same thing and deacons who are leading out in service ministry and connect group leaders and, and, and teams and, and mission teams and committees and we're, we're all together and we're trying to push the gospel forward in our community and in our city and around the world. Ooh, I just know that is the hope of the world. So I read this article by Kerry um, Newhoff, and it's very interesting. In his article, he says the following. Many people who cannot find their way back to church have no trouble finding their way to Target. <laughs> An NBA game, dinner out, a tropical vacation, family reunions, or a concert. They don't hate in-person church. There's no surge of strong emotions. It's just no longer important. That's powerful. It's, it's not that they hate what we're doing. It's just no longer important. Um, and, and that's, it's really true throughout America. I know at Great Hills, you look around, there's a lot of emptiness there was emptiness before COVID. Now we're about 70% of what we were pre-COVID. I talked to a friend of mine in Tennessee yesterday, and, um, <laughs> and he's battling cancer, cancer treatments five days a week. And uh, he goes, Brother Danny, he goes, we, he says, we're in Tennessee. I guess we just don't listen to a lot. He says, but we're, we're, we're the same as we were. <laughs> Uh, back then, I said, Tony, that is an anomaly. I said, most people, especially in Austin, if you ask the churches here in Austin like us, we'd say, man, we're nowhere near where, where we were. Kerry Newhoff says, okay, it's no longer fear, it's indifference. He says, but how do you combat that? And I like this part. Thank you, Leighton, for sending me this article. The two things he says to combat indifference, passivity, and, and overall you know, it just doesn't matter as much anymore. He said, here's two things you need to have. Mm, these are so good. Are y'all ready for it? Some of y'all are like, would you just hurry? Just get through. You know, I got things to do. Man, I don't have anything else to do. There's nothing I want to do but preach the word of God. Whether you want to hear it or you don't, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the word of God. 
God. Because it's our hope. Man, you go to Ukraine today, you ask those Ukrainian believers, would you like to be in church today? Would you like to come out of the tunnel and get back in your church? And they would say, I'd die for that. In fact, many of them will. Many of them will. And here we are, fat and happy. And I say, God, help us be disciplined. God, help us to be, help us to be dedicated. God, help us to delegate where we need to delegate. God, help us to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, upon one another. God, help us get together and be strong, lock arms. Number one, he said the great way, the antidote to tackle the indifference is you need passion. You gotta be passionate about Christ and about your gospel. I mean, people are going to accuse me of a lot of things. They have, and they especially will in the future. But you're not going to accuse me of not being passionate. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to be passionate till I die, Lord willing. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to... I think we all are. I think we're all tempted to leave the God that we love, to go do something else, <laughs> go do something easier where the devil doesn't give a rip about what I do, but he really cares about what I do. Well, I'm gonna finish. Um, thanks to the Holy Spirit and my wife, I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna complete my task, my mission. The second one, he says, not only do you have to have passion, you have to constantly remind the church of her mission. The church's mission is not to indulge the members and their preferences, but it is to make disciples and plant churches and reach the nations. The last thing I have is the word deepening. In verse 23, we read at the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. I love this man. He goes out from Antioch. He, he retraces those places that just about killed him. He's a traveling man. He's on fire for the Lord. And notice what he does in verse 22, and I'm done. It says, and, and when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up, greeted the church of Jerusalem, went down to Antioch, and here it comes, verse 23. And he spent some time there. That's dependence. That's so important. Then he departed. He went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, here we go, strengthening, strengthening deepening, discipling, helping all of the disciples. I won't bore you with the Greek word, but let me tell you what it means. The word literally, it's in the present tense. He kept on strength. It means to strengthen, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. It means to confirm, and it means to establish. And that's what, that's what Paul was doing. Man, what a, what a life, what a journey. Next week, we get to pick it up in verse 24 and talk about Apollos and, and his zeal for the Lord and how Aquila and Priscilla were able to mentor him and shape him because they had been mentored and shaped. Here, here's my passion. Here's my desire. I know it's God's methodology, and it works. It worked for Jesus. It worked for Paul. Surely, it'll work for Great Hills, and that is to invest in others. Pour your life, ladies. Pour your life into other ladies. 
deepen them in their walk with God. You say, but I can't do that because I'm an introvert. An introvert, we don't make disciples. Thank you very much. I'm checking off of that. One of the most introverted people that I know in this church is also one of the best disciple makers that I know. And that would be Becky Dean. Sorry, Becky, I'm calling you out in front of everybody. Becky's a lot like me. We, we bookish people. You just put it, give us a book and just leave us, you could leave us alone for two months and they'd be okay with us. We're introverted people. But praise God, she is molding and shaping and pouring her life into other women. Men, we have to do it. You say, well, I don't really know enough. Baloney. Baloney. Well, I'm not deep enough in my walk with God. I need to walk with God for about 85 more years, and then I'll bring another guy alongside of me, and the devil wins, and the devil wins. Guys, can we do this? Can we commit to this disciple path? Can we commit to deepening each other and then pray for us? Pray for us. April 17th, Easter Sunday, we're gonna launch this church in a school, in the Santa Rita Ranch Elementary School. And um, man, it's hard work. Uh, I mean, they're gonna be loading equipment here, at, here in just a few minutes, right? And there's a small group. I mean, we sent out 30-something people to uh, Cornerstone. We sent out a few people, a lot less than that, to go do this work up there in Santa Rita. But I just know it's God's will. I know it's gonna be successful. I know God's gonna use it. And I'm excited about that. And I'm asking the Lord, where next? Where else do you want us? Some of y'all look at me. Some of you look at me and say, you need to quit reading the Bible. You need to quit reading Paul and you just need to focus more on inward, inward, inward. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna focus on reaching people, reaching people, discipling the people we have so that they can go and reach other people. That's, that's what we got. So. Oh, I'm tired. Y'all tired? I just feel like I'm about wore myself out. Some fried eggs are gone. Actually, they were good, but they're gone. The bacon. Um, and I'm just, I'm just curious. Is there anybody, anybody here, maybe a guest? We're not going to ask you to stand and sing a song to you or anything like that. But I'm just curious if there are any guests here today or online who would say, that's, that's what I've been looking for. I've been looking for a church that's more interested in making disciples and planting churches. Well, then you may have found your church. You may have found the place you need to get plugged in and get discipled and get going and growing so you can join in with us. You can talk to us about that. We'd love for you to, <laughs> we do it a little bit different at Great Hills. We, we try to, I don't say screen you, that's, that's too strong of a word, but we test you if you're really serious. And we have you go through a three-week course. And some of y'all new members are going, that's right, they do it. I'm saying, he's telling the truth, they do it. And, and then we say, now that you know a little bit about us and we know a little bit about you, are you still interested in becoming a member of our church? Because we have high expectations and we want you to get plugged in and help us. So if you're up for it, then come on and be a part of us. If you don't know the Lord, then you're bored out of your mind. <laughs> this last 45 minutes, come on, it was miserable, wasn't it? It's like, oh, no, no, if you don't know Christ, 
right? If you, if you don't know the Lord, you're not interested in making disciples and planting churches and being a dedicated follower of Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, you're like, oh, this is torture. This is, get me out of here. Get me to a place where I can be entertained and where I can feel good about myself. Well, here's what I think you need. Here's the thing that will help you feel good for all eternity, the blood of Jesus Christ. Let Christ be in your life, be magnified in your life, and watch what Christ does. He gives you joy. He gi- you don't have to take shots to have peace. Wouldn't that be cool? If you didn't have to smoke a something and shot something just to have peace. No, you get Jesus. He gives you lots of peace. He gives you lots of joy and lots of happiness. And he gives you lots of purpose. And when you die, you go to you go to heaven and you spend eternity with him. Anybody like that here today? Anybody online say, I'm giving my life. I'm giving my life to Christ today. Father, here, here we are and we're praying in Jesus' name for conviction of sin. We're asking you, Lord, to help people repent today, to give their lives, Lord, to you and to your gospel. We're praying, Lord, for not an imitation, a, a phony, pseudo, false conversion, but for the real thing. We're praying, Lord, for born-again, spirit-anointed salvation that changes people's lives. And if that's you, my friend, glory to God. He has chosen you. (laughs) He's chosen you. Why don't you receive him? Believe on him for salvation today. Here in our church, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to invite people to come to the altar. We're going to invite you to come give your life to Christ We have people here that will pray with you, that will encourage you. Those of you that are interested and you want Christ or you want to be a part of our church, you want to be maybe a part of the next plant that we do, then you come. You come, join your life with ours because we are a people on mission. And we're going to follow the best we can the model, the method of Jesus and Paul. We're going to continue to preach the word of God, build strong marriages, Make disciples pray a lot and walk together. Father, I pray. I know our our church, Lord, it's not perfect and we have such a ways to go, just like me. But I thank you, Lord, for the mission and I thank you for the passion. I pray, Lord, in a moment as we stand to our feet, I pray for the Holy Spirit of God to just minister to people's hearts, encourage people, Bless these dear people online. Lord, some of them would love to be here. They just can't. They can't get here. And I thank you that we can get to them. I pray for them. I pray that they would be blessed. I pray that they would be able to congregate. I pray that they would be able to be the church and make disciples. Lord, we love you. We're confessing our need for you today. Lord, I need you. We need you at five o'clock in a big way. Lord, as we gather our little team this afternoon, Holy Spirit, would you encourage us? Would you infuse us with your power? Would you uh, help us in the eight weeks when we launch out in that community? Help, Help Great Hills to grow north, Lord. Help us to reach people up there like we're reaching people here. Father, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand up.